Uh, well, as Ben said, uh, this is a Global Outreach Sunday. You can often tell because we have these beautiful uh, uh, quilts, these handmade quilts on the walls as well. Our blanket makers make those. They use them as an outreach opportunity. They, uh, they bless um, those in our community and others with them. And so uh, a ministry of our church that is outward focused. And so very, uh, very thankful for that. So in case you're wondering, that's why those are there. And uh, we take uh, periodically from time to time when we have global outreach partners, missionaries uh, that we support that are back from the field, back from where they're at, we take the opportunity to, to have them come and share a report. And for us, that's really important. It's so important that we'll dedicate our Sunday morning time, our normal time in the Word, to, to hear these reports and to be encouraged by what God is doing around the world. And so we are eager today. Uh, we have uh, Carmen DeVries with us, and she'll be coming up in just a little bit. Uh, she's serving in PNG, in case you didn't already catch that this morning, but uh, Papua New Guinea uh, with uh, Ethnos 360. It's a uh, New Tribes Mission still in, uh, in PNG, and it was formerly New Tribes Mission. And uh, because we have a, a representative uh, of New Tribes Mission um, who has been serving with New Tribes Mission for uh, over four decades, I guess now, um, but uh, with us, who's part of our church, who's a member here, I thought I'd have my dad, Mike Quants, come and do what he, uh, what he does, which is uh, share uh, a bit about, uh, about the ministry of Ethnos 360, and then Carmen's going to come and give us an update on her ministry and, uh, and the, what God is doing in Papua New Guinea. And so please, serious time to, to pay attention and to, uh, to listen, and who knows, God may be calling uh, one of you to be a global outreach partner uh, around the world even this morning. And so, Dad, welcome. Thanks, Dad. Well, you've got the introduction. You know, years ago, I may have said this before, but... Years ago, you know, our kids were known as, you know, oh, you're the son of Mike and Gwen Klontz. Now we're known as, oh, you're the parents of Caleb and Linda. <laughs> I just want to, as I begin, thank the worship team, both for now, but also for last Sunday night, that sing time. It brought back memories of the time when we had been out in a remote village in Bolivia, South America, for uh, a number of months, and we uh, had our first furlough time, and arriving back in the U.S. in Florida, and we were there uh, just before a Sunday, and so we were privileged to join a church service there uh, locally, and uh, as we sat down in the back, and the organ and piano started playing. And then the congregation started singing those beloved tried and true hymns. And uh, we, in English, our heart language. And uh, we had both, Gwen and I both grew up in pastor's families. And so we loved those songs. And when they did that, we, we just both lost it. Tears of joy. We'd been out in the remote jungles and where there wasn't much English being spoken. And then to hear those praises to the Lord. And so we really appreciated and enjoyed, again, that last Sunday night. And if some of you missed out, I'm sorry. There probably will be another one. Well, Ethnos 360 began in uh, 1942 as New Tribes Mission. Uh, Paul Fleming and his wife, even before they were married, both felt God's call on them to serve on the mission field. And so a month after they were married... They left kind of out on their own to go and begin a work in Sumatra, 
But then along the way, God changed the direction, the series of circumstances. They ended up in British Malaya. And they were there ministering uh, interior, wanting to reach unreached people groups with the gospel. Tremendous needs that they saw there. And then uh, it just so happened that after being there two or three years, this was in the late 1930s, uh, Paul's body became racked with malaria, various kinds of malaria. And then the strong medicines that he took for the malaria poisoned his system. And eventually the doctor said, you have to take him back to the U.S. This was real tough on Paul because um, he had that burning desire, that passion to reach the unreached people groups uh, around the world. You say, he, he, matter of fact, wanted to continue, continue going farther north up into Burma that we now know as Myanmar. Uh, what made Paul feel that burden that he felt uh, for those unreached people groups? He was convinced that the example of the Apostle Paul was, and what he told the church in Rome and in Corinth was what he thought we should be involved in, they should be involved in, right then, and focusing on, in Romans chapter 15, uh, you can read those uh, verses, uh, they should be on the screen there, uh, chapter 15, verses 20 and 21, and Paul told the Romans, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, those who had no news of him shall see and they who have not heard shall understand. And, of course, he was quoting Isaiah 52, verse 15. And then over sim similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I didn't talk to the pastoral staff to see if after we finish 1 Corinthians, maybe this year, if we'd go into 2 Corinthians or not. But uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, he, Paul reiterates that, the Apostle Paul, saying he, his desire was to preach the gospel even in the regions beyond, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, uh, where the gospel had never gone before. And even in 1 Corinthians, which we will get to in some weeks or months from now, uh, chapter 15, verse 34, in the last part of the verse, it's not up there on the PowerPoint, but, but uh, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, Awake to righteousness, and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Paul Fleming knew that there were such tremendous needs out there. He'd been there. He'd seen those. But there weren't enough missionaries to go and reach them. Well, they did return. Paul and Cheryl returned to the U.S. And he did recover from malaria. But unable to return, he felt that desire, that burning in his heart to, for these people to be reached with the gospel. And uh, so as he began to challenge folks back home in the Midwest, he was actually ahead of his time in that he had um, movies with sound. Remember, this was in the early 1940s. Uh, he had movies with sound, and so he was invited to a number of churches and Bible colleges. And as he showed these pictures and shared his passion, his vision for reaching the world, God began to raise up a number of folks to serve on the mission field. But there was a real problem for many of them. Many of, the, of them could not find a mission board that would accept them because they were either over 30 years of age, they were uh, had more than two children, 
or they didn't have enough education, and by the time they'd get the education the mission required, they would have been too old. And, and there were other complications. And so God laid it on Paul's heart as he was praying along with a group of godly men to then consider forming a new mission organization, and they called it New Tribes Mission. That was in 1942, long before I was born in 1952. Um, but um, <laughs> one of those who... Uh, went along, was a pastor in one of those churches with uh, some members from his congregation. There ended up being, in the first group of missionaries they sent out, there were 16, 10 adults, 6 children, and they went to Bolivia, South America, the same country where Gwen and I and our family were privileged to serve for 15 years, back from 1980 till 1995. But back in those years, they barely got there to the field, and a few months later, in the middle of 1943, it just so happened that as a group of five of the missionary men went out to make contact with the remote uh, Iore tribe, five, those five men lost their lives at the hands of the Ioreos. And uh, a very tragic loss uh, for the mission, of course. Uh, it, was, uh, it was devastating. Two of the wives, in that case, did stay on, and they were uh, the instrumental in eventually seeing that Iore tribe reached not just in eastern on the plains of eastern Bolivia, but in northern Paraguay as well, where many churches abound because of the efforts of uh, those men and and of course their families, their wives that that, that stayed on. This all happened 13 years before what happened, what most of us are more familiar with, uh, with names like Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott, maybe the movie End of the Spear, what happened in the country of Ecuador with the Auca that we now call the Waodani Indians. That was in 1956. You say, well, why didn't we hear about what happened in 1943? Well, it was in the middle of World War II. And the war pretty much took precedence over... Um, the death of five American missionary men. And so that's why you haven't heard much about it, and yet the story is told in the book God Planted Five Seeds, written by one of the wives. And Gwen and I were privileged to know and uh, interact with those two widows years later after they were back in the United States. Back in 1942, Paul Fleming's goal was to Trust the Lord to thrust out missionaries to 10 different countries in 10 years. And because of the Lord's grace, they were able to accomplish that goal in only seven years. It was a rough beginning for the mission, but down through the years, hundreds of missionaries, of course, have been trained and sent out with the mission to every continent except Antarctica. I guess there's more penguins than people there. Um, I looked it up just to make sure. Um, but uh, Ethnos 360 is... The now considered the second largest non-denominational faith mission after Wycliffe or SIL with approximately 2,500 missionaries serving from 40 different countries, not just Americans and Canadians, uh, ministering in over 265 people groups with over 100 completed New Testaments, most with Old Testament portions, and uh, there's over 125 more in process right now. Over 1,200 churches have been planted, and, of course, more on the way. 
And Gwen and I feel, my wife Gwen and I feel, such a part of so many of those church plans because down through the years serving as representatives, our lives have interacted, we've touched, or maybe we've been the ones to challenge some of those who have now gone to pretty well every country where we now serve. But as a mission, we're not finished with the task. Uh, six years ago, on the mission's 75th anniversary, uh, mission, the mission's name was changed to Ethnos 360. Ethnos meaning nations. If you look there in Matthew 28 and Revelation, and when it uses the word ethnos, it's actually nations, and the 360, of course, around the world, which really embodies the ministries of the mission today. And as we'll hear in a moment, there are some countries like uh, Papua New Guinea that still use the NTM name because even with the word tribes in it, because that's appropriate. But we found that as a mission, as we engage on the edge and want to trust the Lord to, uh, with liberty to go into new frontiers, we, some of those words like tribes and mission aren't quite as appropriate. And so it is accepted. And so the mission statement is to, uh, part of it is to, says to assist the ministry of the local church through the mobilizing, equipping, and coordinating of believers to evangelize unreached people groups, translate the scriptures, and then see indigenous churches established that glorify God. Our main tagline is a thriving church for every people. And progress is being made, but there's still much work to do. While we have a very extensive training program for the missionaries that we sent out, send out, uh, we also uh, want to, in almost every country where the government will allow us to, to have a training program for nationals so that those people in that country can be trained to reach their own people in their country. And sometimes that's easier said than done. But that is uh, our goal. Uh, tremendous need, you know, of the nearly 7,000 languages in this world, you probably, maybe you hadn't heard that statistic before, but it's hard to believe because we can count on the fingers of one or two hands, ones that we really know about, and yet there are still somewhere close to 2,000 of them that do not have a copy of God's Word in their own heart language, and so that's why there is still a great need for missionaries. And I can't remember a time when any mission agency has ever said, stop sending missionaries. We've got too many. <laughs> I don't think you've heard that either. Uh, that uh, just hasn't happened. And so there's still a tremendous uh, opportunity. You say, well, what do all do missionaries do? Well, I just, and I'll draw your attention to the display table out in the foyer that's there where we and Carmen have uh, things that you can look at, pick up, take home, and read more about. But um, the fact is, is there are just about any occupation that is needed here in the U.S. is needed on some mission field of the world with one mission or another. In 1963, years ago, as an almost 11-year-old, that's when I dedicated my life to serve the Lord as a missionary in South America. Two years later, the same missionary speaker came back and spoke to us at the summer camp, barely an hour away from here in northern Idaho. And that's when I wrote in my Bible the verse Matthew, 6, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. And uh, you'll see it there on the screen. Uh, and of course, if you're going to write it down and look at it later, include verse 36, because it says, When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion 
And of course, that should be the, the heart of each one of us, that when we see folks around us that don't have the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that should move us with compassion on them. Sheep sit scattered around, scattered around without a shepherd. And then he said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the, his, these harvest, needy harvest fields. And we're still praying that. Praying for full-time missionaries uh, that can be involved in Bible translation and, uh, and uh, in learning the language, uh, language learners, church planners, as well as many support personnel. Even going for 6 to 12 months to help give some of those missionaries a break or because they're going to need to come back on a furlough every few years. And if they don't have somebody to replace them, many of those responsibilities fall on somebody else that's already overloaded there on the mission field. So tremendous needs. And, of course, there's an opportunity for short-term teams as well that are sent out on a regular basis. Um, two of the greatest needs that uh, we find in terms of support personnel are for accountants, our bookkeepers, and, and for teachers, uh, for those precious children of missionaries. Um, ask our four grown children the impact that some of those teachers at the mission school had on them and their lives as they went through school. Plus, we have such a high rate of returning missionary kids coming back to the mission field as second-generation missionaries that really when you go as a teacher and invest your lives in the lives of these young children, you are actually helping train future missionaries. What an opportunity. And um, so we're privileged to have one of those uh, teachers here with us this morning. Uh, of course, Carmen uh, DeVries. De and uh, she's also a part of many church planning teams because she's involved with the families that are out doing the church planting and out there on the front lines. And if it weren't for her and others like her, uh, it, would, it would be far more difficult to missionaries to serve. So, Carmen, go ahead and come on up. Well, I just always counted a privilege to come back to Valley Bible whenever I'm here. It's a place of kind of surprise blessings. Um, right out of college, I began teaching here in Spokane at Valley Christian, and I come to Valley Bible, and there's all these connections from way back when that God has woven together. So thank you for being a part of uh, my support team, a part of my uh, just encouragement, but it is always a tremendous blessing to be here amongst you and to share what God is doing. Um, Pastor Ben mentioned this morning about the brothers and sisters in Papua New Guinea, the term that they would use is a one talk, someone who has the same talk, one talk, as you. So our brothers and sisters in Christ would be one talks. And um, just a little reminder, if you're interested at the end of the service, to check out our display table, I have a little water bottle stickers that say, pray for our one talks in PNG. So as Pastor Ben was mentioning that this morning, of just the idea of a one talk is someone who speaks the same language, and it's exciting to see how God is bringing people to the knowledge of him and Christ as their savior in Papua New Guinea. So just a little bit of who I am. Um, I grew up in Montana. I knew for a long time that I, as a young girl, that I wanted to be a teacher. I would say teaching overseas was not on my radar, but I was teaching here in Spokane, doing short-term missions trip, and thought that was my role in missions. 
until God, in a big way, moved in my heart and uh, challenged me to go teach overseas in Papua New Guinea. So I want to, uh, this morning, share with you a little bit of overview of what's happening in Papua New Guinea, both from the church planting side and the support missionaries, give you a slice of my life, and then a bit of encouragement about these new believers in Papua New Guinea. So I just have this video up next, giving you an overview of what is happening in Papua New Guinea. As New Tribes Mission Papua New Guinea, we have missionaries from all over the world that are sent by our partner organizations. And those include New Tribes Mission UK, Ethnos 360 in the USA, as well as Ethnos Canada, New Zealand, Germany, a sending organization in Mexico. We're part of what's called Global Partners. Here in Papua New Guinea, we currently have 365 adult members. That sounds like a lot, I realize but we have over 800 different language groups we're trying to reach. In obedience to the command of Christ and motivated by His love, we desire to establish New Testament churches in the least reached people groups of Papua New Guinea. So of those 365, 48% do support ministries and 52% do tribal ministries. One of the reasons that we need that many missionaries, especially the support workers, is because the infrastructure in Papua New Guinea hasn't quite developed. So most everything is only accessible through airplanes or helicopters. The support structure that's here within the country is still developing, so we have to provide that for all those missionaries that are out in the tribes. In order to function effectively here with a, a country the size of California, uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. So in NTM PNG, we divide ourselves up into three different areas. The western area covers a lot of the Sepik swamps and the mountains that surround them. And the eastern area, we're talking about a, the islands of New Britain and New Ireland, and a lot of smaller islands off the coast of the main island. And then the central area covers the Ramu Valley up in to the mountains of the Central Highlands. And so each of those areas has a local team that looks after uh, our missionaries in those places. For us in New Guinea, with so many different people groups, very remote locations, and a lack of transportation, we really lean on our local support centers to provide logistics for our teams, finding supplies and, and getting them ready for transport, to provide access for national churches and believers to connect with the resources that they may need. Then we also rely on those centers to provide the member care and consultant help for our bush teams. At our Lapilo Center is our field headquarters. From here, we base our aviation program. We've got a Numenori Christian Academy where the children of many of our support workers here and some boarding students attend uh, from our church plants around the country. So we have to have our own school here so that missionary kids can fit back into their home countries. We also have a medical clinic, dental clinic, uh, our finance and business personnel, as well as computer technologies folks. So there's a lot that happens from here to support our, our mission across this country. Now on the church development side, right now our field has seven locations that are ready to be moved into. And then we have about 10 other locations that are somewhere on that survey pipeline. So there's a number of areas that we're ready to go into. We just need the people. We also have a support center in Medang where we do orientation for church planners. It's dedicated to equipping our new missionaries that are arriving. Our vision of what we'd like to do is to continue to equip and train our church planning team so that they can do the work that we've traditionally done, literacy and developing Bible lessons and teaching and translation and discipleship and turning that work over. Right now we have about 40 active missionary teams working with different tribal groups from teams that are just moving in working on their houses or teams in early and middle stages of learning the language and culture of the people they're working among and we have two teams who are just now presenting 
the gospel for the very first time. We also have eight teams that have a young and maturing church, a church that's less than two years old, uniting a body of new believers and teaching them through the basics of Christian life. And then we also have another 29 discipling their maturing believers toward eldership and teaching and taking that scripture and teaching it to others. Our translation teams have actually completed 33 <laughs> New Testaments and 34 in active development. Not only do we want to continue to work with our church planning teams, we need to do it in partnership with the national citizens here at Papua New Guinea. We have another 36 different churches that we would consider mature churches where the missionary team is itinerant or not actually living full-time on site, but they are working from a distance and supporting that church and then seeing the leaders become our national partners. To actually put a number on the number of churches that have been established by New Tribes Mission since 1950 in Papua New Guinea is very difficult because we have 70 plus places where we put missionaries in a language group, but those missionaries often haven't just planted one church. And maybe in partnership with national believers, they have gone on to other villages. And then some of those churches have reached out on their own to plant further churches. As near as I can tell, we have upwards of 200 churches that have been planted here in PNG. So that's just an overview of what's happening in Papua New Guinea, um, both on the church planting side and a bit of our support. So this is a bit of uh, my slice of life. This is our main support center in Papua New Guinea. Uh, the bigger school, uh, the circle at the top there is our school. It is a school that is K through 12. We have students from 12 different countries. We had about 120 students enrolled this year, serving um, about five different mission uh, agencies. Most of my students live right there on center. The other circle is my house, and pretty much we just walk around center um, just uh, to be able to live in such a wonderful community uh, and just to be a part of that. We have a medical clinic on our center. We have um, a store, our field headquarters, our accounting offices also. This is a close-up of my house. I live in the top part of the house. Of course, housing is always a, a puzzle, um, just depending on who's there, who's coming, what family sizes. So I hope to return to that house when I go back. This past year, I was teaching grade four and five. A coworker took six months at the beginning of the school year to be home in the States, and I am now home for six months. But this was our my class. I was teaching grade four and five with another teacher. Um, this class represents 21 students, eight different countries, Five of these students, their dads were pilots. Uh, some worked in our medical clinic, are in leadership in our computer department. So as I'm teaching these students, their parents can do their support roles to help our missionaries in remote locations. And I, you could probably tell from the video that getting in and out of some of these tribal locations is quite the challenge. This was my classroom, a very um, comfortable looking classroom. We uh, ship our, most of our supplies in from the United States. We just have to order our supplies like at the beginning of the school year for the next school year because uh, transportation, getting them shipped over is somewhat difficult. Another one of my ministries is to uh, coach. I coach boys volleyball and girls volleyball. And that's just, uh, I am an elementary teacher, but then years later to be able to coach some of these same students that I had taught is a tremendous joy. Um, and our, our community is um, full of volleyball playing opportunities and soccer playing time, so it's a great uh, place to be part of. This is my Bible study fellowship group. We have a small group over there in Papua New Guinea, so that's been a blessing. But then also to come back to the United States and then connect with groups uh, that I've been a part of. So just being able to uh, fellowship with these ladies uh, once a week. This is a slice of life that happened in October. We had a fairly major earthquake. It was the biggest, longest one that I had experienced over there. This is our principal's office. Um, 
really no major damage, but it is a fact of life in Papua New Guinea. Um, we were all in church, and it kind of started like, who's kicking my chair? What's happening? And then you start to realize, oh, I think that's an earthquake, and it's still going, and you think, oh, maybe we should leave the building. So that is a part of our life there, but um, praise the Lord, there was no significant damage to our, our center there. This is another slice of life in October. A group of us ladies got together and made cookies for our Bush missionaries. Um, They often don't have the time or the resources um, to make fun extra Christmas cookies. So we just uh, baked them for them and uh, sent them out. We had to do it in October so that they can all get on the right flights to get to them by Christmas time. This last October, I took an adventure. Um, This is a climb of Mount Wilhelm. It is the highest peak in the Pacific region, um, it is 14,000 feet. Our high schoolers do it all the time, and I thought, sure, why not? Um, that was interesting. It was the coldest I've ever been in Papua New Guinea, um, but God taught me a lot on the way down. I had a lot of time um, to think about and be humbled by just how God leads us. The man in the picture, Jack, he became my guide on the way down the hill, and sometimes it was a, no, you need to go this way, and sometimes it was just a gentle tug on my hand of, no, let's go this way. And as I slowly, slowly walked down the mountain, um, it was just a reminder of how God guides us. And sometimes it was, you just really have to pay attention to where he's leading. Um, so it was a great opportunity to um, just get outside of our center, to experience a bit of life beyond that, to see our high schoolers really come together. And again, just some quality time with the Lord, thinking about how he leads us. In Papua New Guinea, we don't have winter. Um, so I've been enjoying all the snow, but maybe not the cold temperature. Um, But we have rainy season and dry season, and with that becomes just a lot of beautiful flowers. So I really enjoy the beauty that God has given us in the flowers around us and just grateful. Our center is about 5,000 feet elevation, so we do get nice and cool in the evening. Of course, if we get to 65 degrees, we're cold. Um, Another slice of life, because Bloomsday has gone virtual the past few years, I've convinced a few of my friends to do Bloomsday with me. So it takes 14 laps around the center. Um, I make them go up the big hill twice just to make sure we get the full effect in there. This is another slice of my life, and this represents the need for maintenance workers. Um, I had needed a new sink uh, cupboard replaced, and so I was out without that sink for a month because as they took it out, a lot of other circumstances happened, and it took them a month to finally get me a new sink in there, um, which was great. I still had, you know, kitchen sink and shower and stuff, but it's just a reminder that um, we do need a lot of support workers. We do need people that can come in and build, and Papua New Guinea, their country's motto is the land of the unexpected, and we live that out quite regularly, not knowing what might happen. And this might be in a very unusual picture. It is four umbrellas, but I thought it represented a good slice of my life. Um, We have rainy season and dry season. I don't go to town all that often, and when you go to town, if you see something, you should buy it because it might not necessarily be there the next time. It might represent a little bit of my forgetfulness of how many umbrellas I have bought. Um, I usually keep an umbrella at school, an umbrella at home, because during rainy season, it's going to rain, and I figure if I am close to an umbrella, I can get to one. It also represents a bit of culture because I've fallen in love with Australian rugby, and this is my favorite rugby team, but um, just... A bit of slice of life, the things that we get to do. Um, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be learning new cultures as I participate, um, just teaching different kids from different countries. This is my commute to school. So the road kind of at the bottom of the picture would be coming out of my house. 
I walk down the hill, the yellow building is our gym, and then just beyond that is the school. So that would be my commute to school. And this picture represents just some of the New Testaments that have been translated into God's word. This past month, we celebrated with um, a missionary. He has been translating the New Testament for 20 years. It is not his first love. He'd rather be discipling. But um, in a lot of different circumstances have come up in his time in the tribe, but it's taken him 20 years, and they just went through the last kind of translation check, so we're very excited for him to celebrate with him. Now we'll go to the printers and then to be able to present that to the people groups um, that he works amongst. I just want to end with a short little video. Um, This past uh, November, our missionaries were able to present the gospel to this people group and to share with them And this is a bit of their testimonies. One, you can listen to their tribal language and understand why it takes our missionaries sometimes two to three years to really learn it well enough to present the gospel very clearly to them. But then also to hear their clear testimony of their faith in Christ.
So that is a little bit of what God is doing in Papua New Guinea. We have um, just all stages. We have works that are completed, and the church is standing on its own, ready to reach out to the next group, um, people that are just moving into a tribe as well. But just thank you for standing with me. Thank you for your prayers, your encouragement as I go and support the workers that are supporting the tribal church plan. It's like a long chain that God has created uh, to all of us to be a part of the family and ministry of Christ. So thank you very much.